those joining us online, we have some shout-out congratulations to give because within the Eagle Church family, we have representation from the Class 1A, Class 2A, and Class 5A semi-state football champions. Let's put our hands together for all three representations. So our Class 1A semi-state champion, the Lampin family, Covenant Christian High School, Amelia serves as the team manager. And if you know anything about the team manager role, the team doesn't function without her role. And she was telling me before service, the first time in Covenant High School's history that they're in the state finals in Class 1A. So congratulations to Covenant. Go get them, uh, get that state title. And then Class 2A, the Weibo Stars. Here's a picture of a couple of players from the Eagle family. This is Josiah Smith. I'm not sure where Josiah got his kicking acumen from. Can you just imagine? I'm, I'm thinking, Hunter, I think Jen gave him all his athletic abilities. So Josiah uh, does all kinds of things for the team. He plays. And we also have, next slide, Jake Hendricks is a part of the Weibo Stars 2A semi-state champions. They've won state like two of the last three years, I think, so it's becoming a regular part. They're going to play. So let's put our hands together for Weibo. Congratulations, Smiths and Hendricks families and all that. And then your class of 5A semi-state champions, right? Your Zionsville Eagles. Here's a picture of our head coach, Scott Turnquist, and his family right there. Way to go, Coach T. And then also serving on the coaching staff. Did you know Clyde Bodkin serves as our running backs coach? So there's Clyde coaching them up. And they had a big game on the ground on Friday night. And we've got, look at this player, number 11, Luke Baumgartner. So Luke, now check that out. He's got the defender. Like, look at that move he's putting on. And if you can see the eyes on Luke, you can see the intensity and the competitiveness Man, he played so well Friday night. He had, a key, he had a key catch in the third quarter of Friday night. He went like DeAndre Hopkins on this guy on, fr on Friday night. So good job, Luke. Congratulations. And we've got some more players. Next slide. Here we've got George Quandy, Jacob Kleeman, and not to be overlooked, Jude, Judd Fennessy is like the ball boy. And you can't have a team without ball boy. It takes everybody to win. So let's put our hands together for our Class 5A Zionsville Eagle champions. Wish them all the best this weekend. They play on Friday and Saturday, depending on what class you're in. So who knows, next Sunday, maybe we'll have like state champions like in the gathering, either here or online. I'm sure most of them connected to all of that. They're nowhere near humanity because the last thing they want is contact trace this week of one week that you want to try to stay fully healthy. It's going into the finals. So wish them all the best. And how ironic is it that on Friday night, I was sitting at the Zionsville game and it was around halftime, and my cell phone buzzed, and I opened up the message, and it was a message from Norma Jean Evans' family. And on Friday night, uh, she took her last breaths in this life. And uh, the next day, uh, Brett's son-in-law called me to fill me in. So here's the, here's the irony of the whole week as it unfolded. As you know, many of you have been praying for Norma Jean and family. Thank you. I know the family really appreciates that. It's a really difficult physical ending. Her lungs began to fill up with fluid, especially on Friday. And um, Norma Jean's 102-year-old mother passed away this week. Did you catch that? So her mother, the memorial service for her mother was Friday at 1 o'clock. And six to seven hours later, Norma Jean takes her last breath. 
I think that can only be the Lord. It's like they spent all these years together in this life, and they literally only had a few days uh, physically apart. And so, um, Norma Jean's mom was, she had fallen and hurt her hip and 102. I mean, she had a good long, this is the same woman who kicked COVID in the tail several months ago. I mean, this is that gal, so she's a strong. And uh, so, I just thought about the reunion Norma Jean and her mom must have had there in glory on Friday. And so, memorial service plans are for Wednesday. Uh, I'll be in Lebanon. The service will be at Myers in Lebanon. Visitation at 11, service at 1. I know the family appreciate your prayers and support. I'll push out information for you to be able to post messages and condolences to the family and just uh, an amazing legacy that Norma has left. And I know her family will carry it on well. And our prayers are with you, Evans and Osborne families. All right, open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, as Shayla referenced, um, had a totally different message prepared for today, but you know, it's 2020 and kind of I like to plan, I like to prepare, I like to have things kind of in order, and boy, this year's just been super great for all of that. Um, so I had prepared a series of messages for uh, Colts Chapel. I do that on Saturday nights. Last night I was preaching in Nehemiah 8 for the guys. We're doing a series through Nehemiah. At the end of the message, I just sensed a leading from the Lord, like, that's the message for the church tomorrow. And I'm like, really, Lord? Like, it's like 8 o'clock Saturday night. Like, you couldn't give me a little memo, like, earlier than this. I'm thinking of our tech team and everybody who does all the work on slides and everything else. And so anyway, I just sense that there's something in um, this posture. So if you don't know anything about the book of Nehemiah, let me just give you a short Cliff Notes version to set up Nehemiah 8. The book of Nehemiah is written at a time when God's people ended up 700 miles east of really where they wanted to be. They were in Babylon. Isn't that a commentary on our lives? I know it's a commentary on my life at times. I wake up and go, how did I get here? I think I'm 700 miles east of where the Lord wants me to be. That's called exile. That's Bible language for exile. And, and perhaps 2020, in a sense, could be very exilic in its nature. Because in exile, the things that you thought were important kind of get sifted. And while they're in exile, this guy named Nehemiah, who's there in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, he gets word about what's happening in his hometown in Jerusalem. The walls are broken, the gates are burned, the people are scattered. It's a mess. And Nehemiah is God's chosen instrument to go back. And the front half of the book of Nehemiah records his leadership in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, which... At the end of chapter 6, it records they got it done in 52 days. Seven and a half weeks, they built two miles of wall, 50 feet high, 10 to 15 feet thick. Two miles. Back in the day when no power tools, it was all just, right, hand labor. And so the front half of the book of Nehemiah is a great leadership study. For those of you in leadership, for those of you really feeling challenged and stretched in leadership right now, I commend to you the first half of the book of Nehemiah and to journey with Nehemiah and all the things that were coming at him. He had opposition from the outside. He had opposition from the inside. He got to the point where he was sleeping with his clothes on. The work was so intense. And he had like a sword in one hand to battle the enemies that were coming against him. And he had like a, you know, a hammer in the other hand where he's working on the wall. That's, that's the book of Nehemiah. And some of you feel like that right now. Some of you feel stretched in all those ways. Like, man, I just feel like sleeping with your clothes on type, study, like work clothes on. Just can't catch a breath, can't get a break. 
And they got it done in seven and a half weeks, much to the surprise of all the surrounding nations. All the surrounding nations were trying to prevent this because they felt like a rebuilt wall meant a rebuilt nation, which meant it was really harder to keep them under their thumb. So they didn't want the wall to be rebuilt, so they were trying to resist and stop it, but God wanted it rebuilt. Now, Nehemiah perhaps, and definitely the people, probably thought the project was about getting just the wall rebuilt until Nehemiah chapter 8. And the key character in Nehemiah 8 is a man named Ezra. So what Nehemiah was to the physical wall rebuilding, Ezra is to the rebuilding of the people. And so today, if you don't hear anything else from the message today, I want you to hear four movements, I think, come out of Nehemiah 8 and 9. They say, when God wants to rebuild something, when God wants to restore something, when God wants to renew something, whether that be individually He's coming to us, or perhaps this might be a word for our nation or perhaps for our world today. Could it be that 2020 looks like a lot of things got broken down and a lot of gates got torn down and and burned up and it's kind of a pile of rubble and and we're working hard to kind of get back to whatever uh, new normal is going to be? And could it be that we're focused on getting some of the physical realities in order and God might be speaking in like he did here in Nehemiah 8 and 9 saying, hey, while you're focused on getting the wall rebuilt, I'm working on getting some hearts rebuilt. And so there are four movements to this. Repeat after me, say, look up, look back, look in, look ahead. And I expect all of you online, start lighting up the chat with look up, look back, look in, and look ahead. So no taking a nap on me wherever you're at. If you're laying in your bed, have a sip in your coffee, or on your sofa, in your kitchen table, we're going to do this together. Nehemiah chapter 8, let's look at this first movement where God calls His people. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the only way they could settle in their towns is because the wall got rebuilt. There was no settling down when there's no wall. When there's no wall, there's no protection. You're just getting ransacked every day. So you got to get the wall rebuilt to get the people settling in their towns. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. So that's when you see in your Old Testament the book of the law of Moses, it equals the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you haven't journeyed through that in a while, it's not the easiest of read. Now, Genesis starts out like a house of fire. Everybody's on fire when you're reading through your Bible in a year, like your month of January, you're going great. And then February hits because you hit Leviticus somewhere in there, and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do with skin infections and all these other things and land allotments and numbers? I mean, it's some really really interesting reading in there slash difficult reading. First five books that get the law of Moses. Ezra, get the law of Moses. Now watch what happens here, which the Lord had commanded. Verse 2, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So that's basically everybody who's able to get out of your house and gather, get out of your house and gather, all age groups. He read it aloud, look at this in your Bibles, from daybreak till noon. (laughs) 
So around 6 a.m. till noon, what's going through your minds right now? That's like a six-hour church service. Who's fired up for that? Or I said to the guys last night, how about a six-hour chapel? Boom, dead silence in there. We get 30 minutes on Saturday night. That's a week. How about six hours? Daybreak till noon. That's what's going on. God's up to something here. He's coming after something here. They think it's about the wall when really it's about their hearts. And he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people, underlined in your Bibles, listened attentively to the book of the law. Well, I'm challenged by that. Listening attentively. There's something so unique about this God-breathed book that when we open it, am I, am I attentive to it? Am I receptive? Am I hungry? Am I desiring? Even, even in Leviticus, even in Numbers, like can I say, God, what do you want me to see there? Am I listening attentively when this book is open? And look at verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. So do you get the imagery here? So they had some high wooden platform, and Ezra wor- read the Word of God over the people. Do you see that the people actually had to look up? They had to look up to see the Word of God. I think this is a great image for us right now. When God wants to reform some, when God wants to restore, when God wants to renew, the first movement is, look up. Get us to look up. Open up this God-breathed book. There's no book like this book. If you know me well, you know I love books. Ask my wife. I've got a whole stack on the nightstand. She's always rolling her eyes when the Amazon package arrives on the porch because she says, what is the new book? You've got these other seven books going on. If you see my office, I don't even have bookcase space. Carl says you can't put any more bookcases up in my office. I say, hey, I got a little room at the top by the ceiling up there for a shelf of books. I love books, but there's no book like this book. This is the only book where I pick up and it says, and God said, comma, quote. There's something about this book, this God-breathed book, that when you open it and you listen attentively to it, and when you look up to it, what are we supposed to see? We're supposed to see God. Like the people back in Nehemiah's day had lost sight of God. They'd gotten focused on the work. They got focused on the restoration project. They got focused on the wall. They got focused on Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and all the enemies coming against them. They got focused on their own issues and their own pain. They got focused on the external issues and all of that. They lost sight of God. And so God's like, get Ezra. Get the first five books of the Bible, built a high wooden platform, open it up, six hours column to stand and read the word of the Lord over the people. It's a posture of looking up because in God's heart, the wall was a means to an end. He's going to get the wall rebuilt, but he's going to get the people's hearts reformed. He's going to get the people's hearts renewed. And I can't help but think about what's going on in our world today. Could it be in all the ways God's coming to us through this year? We're going to get on the other side of this eventually. I don't know when, but we will. I don't know if you saw the articles this week about what was like Thanksgiving 1918. 
There was a picture of the USA Today that showed like what Thanksgiving was like back in 1918 when it was the Spanish flu and it was a global pandemic going on then and and what it looked like and how they got through it and when they eventually made their way through it, even back in 1918. we'll, We'll figure out, we'll get our way through this eventually. But it isn't just about getting through it, it's about who are we going to become on the other side of all this? Could it be the gods coming up and saying, hey, you know what? Don't just work on getting a vaccine and working on social distance and mask and all these important things. Don't just focus on getting through it physically healthy. Look up. Look up and allow this God-breathed book to give you a vision for the glory of God, to see who He is, to see what He wants from your life. The primary way you know who God is and you know how to live life with Him is right here. And that we have a hunger and a thirst and a desire, not just to get through this year, but to see God in all this. Say, God, where are you? How are you coming? Look up. Look up. Look up. And look what happened now when they began to look up. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Are you kidding me? So this six-hour worship service, it wasn't just they were sitting, sipping coffee the whole time. These folks were standing at times. They had their arms up in the air. They were their faces on the ground. They were fully engaged because God was meeting them. Their hearts were being renewed. Their minds were being restored. There's something happening here. And I would lobby that, like what Tozer said, the most important thing about us is what we think about God. The most important thing about, like when the subject of God comes up, the thoughts that go through your head, right? That's the most important thing about you and me. We've got to get that right. And you know the way we get that right? Is we get right here. We get this word, put on an elevated platform, and we get it read and taught and built into us over and over and over again. And as a church, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that when you come here, whether you're joining us online or in person, that it's the word of God that's opened. When you gather in your life groups or growth groups, that it's a word of God. When the students or children are gathering in the loft or downstairs, that it's this, that we're training kids, we're training the next generation to look up. Then when we get together here on Sunday mornings, we look up and we see not just the words here, we see God revealed in it. We sing these words, we pray these words, we teach these words. We're training this muscle to look up, to lift the eyes of our soul and look up. And as a parent, I'm really challenged by this. Mom and dad, I can't think of a more important application from this point than our own home front and how we're raising up the children in our house to look up and see the glory and character and goodness of God as revealed in his book. And you know, the primary way our kids are going to learn that is us, mom and dad. If we're the kind of people who are looking up, there's a better likelihood those who are growing up under our roof are going to look up. And so the first movement, when God wants to restore, when God wants to renew, when God wants to rebuild, he says, look up. Look up and listen attentively to this. There's no book like this book. To God revealing and God speaking and God unfolding and God opening up. It's like what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus, we're not our hearts burning within us when he opened the scriptures, the burning heart. That should happen on a regular basis. 
There's this burning heart when we look up. And then the second movement happens, look back. Say, look back. Boy, that was super encouraging. Say, look back. All right, there we go. So you look up, and then you look back in Nehemiah chapter 9. By the way, if you need a little like cheat sheet on the Old Testament, go to Nehemiah 9. He gives like a summary of the book of the Old Testament run, especially the first five books. And I just, a breakdown of it, and I put the notes there. In your notes, you've got kind of an updated kind of breakdown that way. So if you haven't got the notes yet, you can pull those down later, and you can see through it. He goes through Genesis, he goes through Exodus, he goes through Sinai, he goes through the desert wanderings, the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. He goes through Joshua and how they inherited the promised land. He goes through Judges. Now, Judges is an interesting take. If you've never read through the book of Judges, here's what I commend to you, the book of Judges. If you find yourself in a place where you're living spiritual Groundhog Day, where you're just repeating the same struggles yesterday and the day before and the day before that, like you find yourself caught in a rut, in a cycle that you'd like to break out of, welcome to the book of Judges. Okay, so you read that one, and then he goes through that with them. And then he ends with the kings and exile, because that's how they got to the story that they're in. So, in a sense, he says, okay, look up and listen attentively to what God is revealing about who he is, and now look back. And as you look back, you trace the track record of God's trustworthiness and faithfulness in your life and my life. You know, it's important to look back. And there's a theme coming up when we look back. And the theme, as he was telling his people, is, hey, you haven't always been faithful, But while you were struggling with your faith, he was faithful to you. When you were faithless, he was faithful. That's like a commentary on the people of God's story coming to Nehemiah, and it's a fairly good commentary in our lives. Even when we weren't on it, God was still faithful. Even when we weren't looking for him, he was looking for us. That God comes for us, he pursues us, he never gives up on us, he doesn't let our failings interfere with his plans and purposes moving our lives forward. Isn't that an amen? I mean, that's a good thing. That's, a, that's why we're here. Isn't that a commentary in all of our lives? When we're here is that when we were struggling, when we were fallen, when we, we, we weren't looking up, God said, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to restore. I'm going to re- look back and trace the track record of the faithfulness of God in your life and in your family. And when you do that, You'll see God, that His character has always been one of goodness, one of faithfulness, one of grace, one of love. You'll see these themes. So it's that you open this book, see how He's getting him to open this book, and then He's like, open like the track record of your life. Open your own kind of life book and look back. So look up, look back, and then that fuels this. This posture that the people had to be saying there, hey, God's going to make a way when there doesn't look like there can be any other way. When there seems to be no way, God can make a way. That's what happens when you look back. And the people of Israel there had to be when God plus anybody's a majority, because there they stand in Jerusalem with a rebuilt wall still alive. Pretty much everyone, if they were honest, would say, Nehemiah, Ezra, we thought we'd be dead by now, but God. Every other ite on the planet was trying to wipe out the Israelites, but God. God was with them, and God protected, and God provided. Well, it didn't say it was easy street, but He protected, 
He provided, and now he's working at restoring and renewing because it was never just about the wall. It was never just about the city. It was always about the people, and it was always about their hearts. So look up and look back and now say, look in. Verse 33 of Nehemiah 9, in all that has happened to us, you have been just. So here's Ezra crafting a prayer. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Notice that you have acted faithfully. Even when we didn't, you did. While we did wrong, notice we. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers. Underline in your Bibles the did nots here. Did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Wow, when I look at those verses, I think, is that a commentary on North America today? I mean, especially the line that says, enjoying your great goodness in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. I mean, the, the place we get to live in this world, the history of our land, the goodness of God that's been displayed when the founding of our land was that North America was going to be a city on a hill. That was our original vision. When they hit the shores on the northeast coast and they began to build our country, it was going to be a city on a hill that this was going to display God's goodness. And could it be that God's coming to us through this in 2020 saying, look up, look back, and now look in and take some ownership of what? The did nots. When you begin to look in, you say, well, there's some things we just, we died on the hill of good intentions. We didn't follow, we didn't pay attention, we didn't serve. We got away from where we used to be. We've drifted, we've strayed, we've fallen. And this is the looking in part. And we can't skip over this. Individually, as a church, as a nation, we can't skip over the looking in part. As we look up and we look back, we look in and we take ownership. How did we get to where we are? You can't change something you're not aware of. Do you see now? There's change happening in this nation because they're taking ownership. In the language of the Bible, this is a movement of confession and repentance. That's what this movement is. It's the leaders, Nehemiah and Ezra, taking ownership to get this book up, built, live, read, seen, see his character, look back, remember his faithfulness, and now look in. Call the people to take ownership on how they've been living and the priorities they've been keeping or haven't been keeping. And this is the first movement in confession and repentance. You have to take ownership of current to begin then to the fourth movement, which is look ahead. Say look ahead. Now look what they do. Look ahead in verse 38. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. Are you kidding me? A binding agreement. Putting it in writing. And our leaders... Our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. <laughs> so here's their binding agreement. The binding agreement would have written something like this. Our history is we weren't always faithful. We struggled. We disobeyed. We strayed. That's our history. But now our commitment going forward is we're going to obey. We're going to do what you want us to do, Lord. So our history is we haven't always obeyed. Our now renewed commitment going forward looking ahead is we will obey. 
And it's such a great application to this principle that we talk a lot around here about. That it isn't about who you've been, but it's about who you're becoming in Jesus. It's not just about your history defining you. It's not even about your current reality defining you. It's about your destiny being the grounds of your identity. It's about who you've yet to become as we look ahead And I wonder if this is a time in our lives individually, in our life collectively as a church, and could it be in our nation as a whole, it's time to make some binding agreements. It's time to get it down to brass tacks and say, as I look up and I see the glory and the character and the goodness of God, who He is and what He's done for us and how He's called us to live, as I look up and then I look back and I see how faithful He's been. And then as I look in and I take ownership of how I've responded, and we decide this is where you engage your will. You engage your will and you say, choose you this day. Which way do you want to go? Where do you want the story to go from here? A binding agreement to what? And notice they got all the leaders together. So whatever your personal binding agreement you're going to put together is, then you bring it to some like a spiritual mentor type, be that a pastor, an elder, a life group leader. You get some people who are in the trenches with you. You say, hey, sign on the dotted line with me, and here's my binding agreement before the Lord and before you. You see that? These are the movements. I think what God wants to renew, when God wants to restore, when God wants to rebuild, It's going to be this movement of looking up and looking back and looking in. It's eventually going to get us to this place where could it be right now, November 2020, the Lord saying to us as a people, hey, look ahead. Where do you want this to go? Run the tape out. Someday, every single one of us is going to be in Norma Jean Evans' position. Sitting on a bed, knowing her last days were very near. Run it out. When you get there, what do you want to have said? What kind of legacy? What kind of conversations around that bedside? What kind of history? Like, wisdom says, now decide, make a binding agreement now for where you want this thing to go. And could it be the Lord saying to America today, Where do you want this thing to go? Look ahead. Write the script out. I close with this. Robertson McQuilkin, here's a picture of Robertson McQuilkin and his wife, Muriel. Robertson McQuilkin was president of Columbia International University for many years. And he was his life work. He said that God had prepared him all his life for this moment to be president of this school. And his wife of 40 years, Muriel, contracted Alzheimer's. Shortly after she got Alzheimer's, as he was trying to sort out her care, their oldest son died in a tragic diving accident. So on the heels of losing their oldest son together, he knew that the Lord wanted him to step down from his role as president of Columbia. And he did. Of which he stayed home full-time and cared for Muriel for 13 years. The last eight, she was non-communicative. She didn't speak one word to him or to anyone. And in kind of the deepest valley and darkest days of all of that, you could imagine how difficult that had to be for Robertson and all that was associated with it. 
he recorded some journal entries, and here's one. Robertson said, life was heavy on me. I was numb. Not bitter. Why should I be? That's the way life is and life in a broken world. But the passion in my love for God had evaporated, leaving a residue of resignation. I wonder if anybody feels like that today. I knew that I was in deep trouble. Let me pause right here. Where do you go when you realize the road that you're on, the path that you're walking, if you were honest and assess, I'm in deep trouble. That's a crossroads moment. What are you going to do right there? Maybe through the course of this year, maybe God's exposing the road that we've been walking. Maybe He's standing in the way to show us the way on some things. And I'm challenged by how Robertson chose. Look what he said he was going to do. I did the only thing I knew to do. I went away for prayer and fasting. It took about 24 hours, he said, to shake free of the preoccupation with my own wounds and to focus on the excellencies of God. I wrote God a love letter, naming 41 of his marvelous gifts to me, spotlighting 11 of his grandest acts in history, and exulting in 10 of his characteristics that exceed my imagination. Surely he enjoyed my gratitude. Who doesn't appreciate gratitude? But hear this, but I discovered something else. I call it the reflex action of thanksgiving. That ingratitude impoverishes, but a heavy heart lifts on the wings of praise. And so church, I leave that with you as perspective for Thanksgiving 2020. No doubt a week, unlike any Thanksgiving, we've all lived together. No doubt your Thanksgiving table's probably going to look different than it's looked in all the years before. But when we gather together, whatever that gathering look like, looks like and whoever's around that table, could we not make a commitment together to say, hey, let's make sure in the midst of the food that's served, could we take a, a movement of conversation in this space to take some time and look up? That someone could lead around the table a, a, a little discussion from God's Word, whether it's from Nehemiah 8, or maybe you take a, a Psalm 100, or a Psalm 103, or a Psalm 116. Take something that helps center, just help, like, look up and reflect a little bit on the character of God and how God is speaking, how God is revealing. And then take a moment and look back. This is a really important year as we get together. Look back over this past year. As hard as it's been on so many levels, trace the track record of the way God has shown up and the way God is revealing and what God is doing. And then maybe get some quiet space somewhere this week and look in. If you're a journaler, it's probably a good week to pull out a journal. If you're not a journaler, at least get a, some quiet space and just reflect for a minute and say, what direction I'm going here? Are there some did-nots I need to open up and confess? Is there some turnarounds or at least pivot points? Like, God, I think I need to shift here. I think I move this prior. Like, look in. And then end the Thanksgiving discussion around, let's look ahead as a family, as a church family. Like, let's look ahead. Where does God want this script to go from here? Let's make a binding agreement together. Around what? 
around what the people are saying here. God, we're going to listen to you. God, we're going to obey you. God, we're going to serve you. God, we're going to orient our lives around your purposes and plans. God, you're the greatest treasure of all. Even if all the things of this world continue to be in a heap of rubble all around us, if we've got you, that's enough. A binding agreement as the people of God to the glory and goodness of God. Look ahead and as a family, Make some decisions together. I know we're going to be doing this in the Simpson house. Say, hey, we're going to buy, what, what's this next year? What's our commitments going to be before the Lord this next year? I think if we'll do that together, I think we'll find what Robertson McQuilkin found. Even if this has been one of the most difficult 11 months of your life, maybe you'll find what McQuilkin found that ingratitude impoverishes, but a heavy heart lifts on the wings of praise. Could it be that as we look up and look back and look in and look ahead, that God just fills us with fuel to give thanks to the Lord and call on His name? I think it's the way, church, that God's going to make sure it's not just about the physical realities that get rebuilt and restored, but it's going to be about the heart. He wants to renew. He wants to restore. He wants to rebuild. And he's going to do it if we'll stay in these four rhythms together. Let's pray. And so, Father, probably of any year that we've needed this holiday in our calendar inserted, uh, perhaps 2020, we need it now more than ever. And so this week... Send us off into this week in this posture that you had these Israelites in, back in Nehemiah 8 and 9, that what was on your heart when you told Ezra to get the people together and get the word out and gather them and build the platform, God, would you work the muscles of looking up, lift up the eyes of our soul this week, help us to look up and see you, open our eyes to see you, O God. Clear away the fog. If it's just gotten cluttered up, we've been distracted and all kinds of things, help us to see you afresh this week. And then give us the gift of looking back to pause and trace your trustworthiness, your faithfulness. And then give us a soberness of heart to look in. To be honest, if there's some did-nots or should-nots or could-nots or would-nots that need to be confessed, and be drug out of maybe what's been going on in hiddenness. There's some stuff that just needs to be brought out and say, Lord, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to call it and name it. And then I'm going to look ahead that this might be a week that we collectively make some binding agreements together. We might say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're all in with Him and for Him and through Him. Even if the circumstances around us don't dramatically change, that perhaps we living in them will. So would you lift heavy hearts this week, set them on the wings of praise. Minister to families like the Osborne and Evans family and many others, the Coley family who such a difficult and painful time, but yet may they sense Emmanuel God with them. 
and open up our eyes and open up our hearts. May this be a time of reformation and renewal from the inside. For the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.